Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, it's now time for our main event. Take a trip back in time to the golden era of the wrestling world with your host, Chris Tetrold Blaine. Welcome to Once Upon a Turnbuckle. Hi everyone and welcome back to Once Upon a Turnbuckle, this being the second episode. Um, if you heard the first one, uh, thank you for joining us again. If you haven't, go back and check it out. Um, I basically just used the first episode to, to map out where it was and when it was that I remember that I first discovered there was such a thing as professional wrestling and, and why I was drawn to it. It's very much the influence as you'll hear of um one of my older cousins um i sort of took uh, took his lead in a way and um so he was a big he, he'd become quite a big fan i didn't really know what it was but uh, sort of through him i found out discovered it for myself and the rest is history but history that hopefully i'll um i'll be able to to map out throughout this podcast at odd times um it's really the the point of this podcast is for me just to talk about my memories of um of being a wrestling fan in that era it was sort of early 90s i was obviously very influenced by late 80s stuff that was what i was really shown first that was what really sort of pulled me in it all began with watching like i've said the first episode survivor series 88 SummerSlam 88 Royal rumble 89 around about that um but i found myself it was about 1991 that i at that point that I I started watching those events and finding out who these who these guys were like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior and all that and um, I I think I finished the first episode just by sort of summing up to say that in '91 I then started to not, not I I was quite reliant on my cousin to begin with with what he could show me that he had you know whenever I saw him which was probably only about once or twice a year um, you know new events that he'd got on tape new action figures magazines all that I it's how I learned how a lot of these guys were were it's just really through my interaction with him um, but sort of late 91 and then into 92 I found other ways of keeping up with the current product that was out then and really discovering it for myself that's why I really consider 92 and 93 to be it's it's probably my favorite period um and it was all it was all to do with wwf that was all i could really find wcw wasn't on mainstream tv i mean at the time um i didn't have satellite or cable tv at all so i didn't get to see the weekly shows my only update and exposure to wrestling at all with through the magazines that I could find in the shops um, and obviously like I say through my cousin and everything that he could show me um, but around about 92 was when I I started 
through the help of others I started to to get a glimpse of the current pay-per-views some of the weekly shows and oddly enough you know my parents had split up by then so my dad wasn't with us and we would see him probably every other weekend or so if that at the time but one of the earliest things I remember from about 92 was one of his friends who lived across town from us who he saw every now and then when he came up he was I think one of the first people I knew to have satellite TV and could actually get WWF because I think it was being broadcast at the time and the, the big events were on Sky Sports and I think the weeklies like All American Wrestling and Challenge and that were on Sky One and um I even think Sky Movies Gold for some bizarre reason was showing some of them but anyway one thing I remember from back then is that um, I was given a a blank video tape it wasn't blank obviously when it was given to me but, but one of those recordable VHS tapes from this friend of my dad's and he had taped for me um, a few episodes of Primetime actually I think it was WF Primetime and Wrestling Challenge and All American sort of whatever was on over about a couple of a period of a couple of weeks he had sort of filled a tape for me and given it to me and I just I watched it to death and I mean lately I've discovered Sean Mooney's podcast and I just dialed into a, a random episode if you don't if you're not familiar with Sean Mooney's um, podcast he a lot of the time he does shows where he he does like a watch along and a, his own commentary on some of the particularly some of the weekly shows that were on so in particular, I think it was it was either either superstars or all American probably one of them anyway. I just I just picked out an odd episode from Sean Mooney's podcast, and it was one of the ones that I had on this tape, and I just relived all those memories. And they were just full of squash matches. Um, I think Tatonka was on there. Bret Hart might have been on there, but it was round about they were, they were filmed round about time. I think it was about I say sort of May June, maybe some of them were April. 92 so on the heels of Wrestlemania 8 so the the Ultimate Warrior was back and Bret Hart was the Intercontinental Champion again and um, that that was even though I'd I'd seen obviously a lot of some of the older stuff from 88, 89 I'd, I'd, people like Bret Hart were in a much different position in 92 you know he was out on his own he, he's successful as a singles guy and a champion at that um, it was different than watching him in the Hart Foundation sort of down towards the the middle or the beginning of the card you know um, so that really as I started to with the help of others started to be able to see the current stuff and um, not only the match the big matches that were on the big events but some of these squash matches some you get to see some of the the mid card or lower card guys you won't see on the pay-per-views like you know Skinner was on there or you saw clips of the model Rick Martel and Tatonka's um, rivalry to begin with you know I felt like it was my glimpse into what was happening almost behind the scenes it's how I viewed the, the weekly shows at that point as opposed to the the monthly pay-per-view shows it was really you were privy to stuff that if you only watched the pay-per-views then you weren't you, there may be some matches on there you weren't sure of how they were built up and what the history was and this was kind of my my chance at that point only a quick snippet of it only a period of like I say a few weeks probably I I could live that you know I, I felt like I was I was in the in crowd before going back to then 
relying heavily either on my cousin, you know, if he had the, the video of the, the latest pay-per-view that had been released or or it wouldn't be then until I think there was one time in 93 and then probably a few times in 94 that this this friend of my dad's would I don't know how I, I never really knew how it all got started or who asked him or whatever but I just used to get these tapes gratefully received um, just full of these a few of these weekly shows just satisfied my my urge my appetite at that point uh, because in between it was just really reading the magazines like I say it was just mainly WWF to begin with and when they published those they were probably about the storylines had moved on about a month before you know since um, or by the time that came out the, the storylines had progressed further so I was never really sort of finger on the pulse kind of thing but sort of by the end of 92 going into 93 I I was I felt a lot more like I was finding my own interest and in I had my own favourites they weren't influenced by others who I viewed as more experienced as a fan you know and very much sort of you know what my cousin said who who the big ones were you know that that was obviously I would I would take it for gospel they're the ones I needed to follow but I felt more of a fan in my own right then you know I was I was seeing these shows I was I was being able to get hold of more of these um weeklies um but also a couple of times I was given a recording probably within the week after it happened of WrestleMania 8 and WrestleMania 9 that seemed to be the big one that that uh my dad's mate was maybe asked or knew to record and and I would get and it happened again I think my mum's boss actually taped for me Wrestlemania 10 in 94 so yeah so unbeknownst to me though my parents were playing this part in trying to grow my interest or feed at least my obsession that it was, as it was becoming with professional wrestling when I was sort of yeah seven eight nine years old um, but what I wanted to talk about today really was that period, that 1992-93, was just like a quick sort of top 10 of, the. they won't be historically the most important, the, the most popular or most debated events or angles that happened. But to me, when I think back to that time and that early on in my discovery of it, the top 10 things that happened that still stick with me now that are among my favourites to kind of go back to so um, yeah I'll, uh, I shall begin 10 so the probably 10 down to 4 um, so th this top 10 isn't really in any particular order except for the top 3 I have put those in order of preference uh, you know how much I sort of favour them over the others so for no particular reason, number 10, um, Ron Simmons winning the WCW Championship in 92. Um, I think it was only about three weeks or so after Vader beat Sting at the Great American Bash in 92 that Ron Simmons beat him for the, for the belt. Now, I hadn't been keeping up with the WCW product at this point. I had probably only just started to realise who WCW were. Um, again just by being given my, I think it was my mum again for Christmas getting her hands on anything wrestling that she could find um, I wound up with a triple pack of WCW pay-per-views in just this this video set um, one of them uh, one was Future Shock 89 
Capital Combat 90 and then the other one was actually Halloween Havoc 91 which was Chamber of Horrors and on that event uh, Ron Simmons challenged Lex Luger for the WCW title so when I remember when I was I used to go to my nan and granddad's most weekends after my parents split up because uh, my mum was working so they used to look after us and around about 92 sort of mid to late 92 I think it was WCW Worldwide was actually broadcast over here in the UK on ITV so terrestrial TV I finally had some wrestling I could watch on channels I could get and I only watched a few shows and one of those on there was Ron Simmons was being interviewed and he was a WCW champ at the time so I obviously knew him from Chamber of Horrors Halloween Havoc video I had but now seeing him with the belt that was that was a big thing for me so obviously sort of I was kind of thinking yeah, what happened who did he beat I, I didn't know the story up to that point I didn't even get to see Great American Bash 92 until probably a year or so later when I managed to get that video as well so my discovery of my timeline was completely off at this point um, I was discovering odd years in reverse it was real haphazard it wasn't until probably um, late 93 maybe 94 that I really kept up properly with with how it was with, with the current timelines and what was going on at that point properly and I stopped sort of I, I had gone back and I had done my research for the uh, for the years up to that point as much as I wanted to so so yeah that to me that's stuck and I know we've we've just celebrated um, I think it, was, it must have been 28 years recently anniversary of that happening um, didn't realise until later on the significance of it obviously Ron Simmons the first African American world champion so uh, so yeah and I remember saying to my dad as well he was he was with us at my nan's when we were watching an episode of WCW Worldwide and I said to him my favourite wrestler is Ron Simmons and he laughed and he said oh, he sounds boring I think he was, he was expecting me to say Sting or you know one of the big ones one of the face painted ones you know one of the bright colourful ones I was like no it's Ron Simmons so yeah, so he makes it on the list. Nine. Uh, number nine, Lex Luger turning face in 1993. So again, new Lex Luger from the um, little exposure I'd had to WCW. Um, but I first knew of him properly on one of the weeklies from 92 on the WWF when he had crossed over to the WBF at that point. He left WCW and he was going to be competing in Vince McMahon's World Bodybuilding Federation and they did a little, whether it was at Wrestlemania 8 or whether it was from one of the weeklies I can't honestly remember, it might have been Wrestlemania 8 they did like um, a video interview, so Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan interviewing Lex from his home um, so I knew then he was coming um, but he never made his, his first proper appearance till the next year, to Royal Rumble 93 and he came in as this, I thought, real pansy type character, the narcissist. You know, he in love with himself. It to me really didn't suit him. The total package character he had in WCW before, and then when he returned, eventually, um, was kind of a muted version of that, and it was more believable. But this, this, this other one that the WCW, uh, WWF gave him was a little more exaggerated probably a little too exaggerated for me um, but then I remember seeing again out the loop not being able to watch it weekly on TV didn't know what was going on I then found um, 
it was either I was given or I bought um, a SummerSlam program special magazine that the WWF released. It was like the program from the show that they put on general sale for SummerSlam 93, or it was the WWF monthly magazine that had the review of SummerSlam 93 on it. And then I kind of knew, okay, something's happened here. Lex is on the good side. You know, he's in red, white, and blue. You know, he's he's actually he's. It, there has been a twist um, and it always intrigued me how these guys I'm starting to learn how these guys can cross over my earliest exposure to that is later in the list so I won't um, I, I won't mention that one right now but there was one other instance that I'd seen a good guy turn bad and now I'd seen it go the other way it's like how do you cheer this guy because he used to be such a bad guy you know hated guy but yeah so that was, that was, quite, that was quite a big one for me that was one of the first times I'd seen a heel turn face um, worked in the early days I really liked him as the American hero sort of made in the USA it was when he got past Wrestlemania 10 I think and he'd had his run and they, they, we knew then they weren't going to put the belt on him it didn't really hold up 8 uh, in at number 8 this is kind of a double one um, centred around SummerSlam 92 one of the still one of my favourite pay-per-views not only because it came from London Wembley Stadium a bit of national pride there but uh, and also my cousin Michael who was my main influence to begin with he was there I was majorly jealous of him for going to SummerSlam and seeing the WWF in person seeing particularly this match but British Bulldog beating Bret Hart for the Intercontinental title to crown the moment of that perfectly placed on the event as the, on the, the pay-per-view as the main event they had, couldn't have done better with that Finishing with Macho Man and Ultimate Warrior, particularly the end of Nayad, wouldn't have wouldn't have made that um, event the success it was. It was a perfect moment seeing him become. I was a massive Bret Hart fan at the time, but seeing the Bulldog pull off that what's considered an upset again quite shocking. It was exhilarating, really. I mean, you know, it was two again something you never really saw in those days: two faces against each other. Um, it's such a high-profile match, but it was perfect and sort of since you know finding out more recently by reading Bret Hart's book and, and hearing others talk about it how messed up David Boy Smith was in that match just makes me respect Bret Hart even more you know how he carried it how he took me how he he was able to carry that match more not single-handedly but played a massive part in making the British Bulldog look as good as he did um so yeah that that's really stuck with me I remember that year I think probably started a few years tradition where I for Christmas my Christmas present from my nan and granddad would be this, that year's SummerSlam so I'd get I got the SummerSlam VHS 92 that year obviously held a lot of um, um, held a big part for me because my cousin was there so I was, I was watching what he was watching sort of thing and um, and I would sit there and I would have had it on the TV and I was sat next to my mum and I would be almost not repeating I would be saying word for word Bret Hart's promo right before that match I, I did like Bret Hart's promos in those days and so real so believable and um, yeah I remember quoting that word for word as he was saying it probably got on my mum's nose Seven um, In at number seven uh, just as a whole event really King of the Ring 1993 um, it was the first televised King of the Ring it's the first I really knew about it I didn't really know anything of the previous ones so the ones that were won by um, you know, Jim Duggan Harley Race and Macho, 
man back in like 87 I think it was 86, 87 um, the ones that were just like house shows uh, this was the first pay-per-view one and I still probably holds up as my favourite pay-per-view out of the what would become the big five um, obviously again massive Bret Hart fan at the time loved the fact that he won um, I even loved the ending to the show you know you, you really you really hated Jerry Lawler for what he did you watched Bret Hart go through hell for three hours and then you uh, his moments is just just ripped away from him in the most almost brutal fashion um, so instant heat for Jerry Lawler you know loved it and also on the show you had um, Yokozuna killing Hulkamania pretty much I, I wasn't at this point I was less of a Hulk Hogan fan than I was in the to begin with anyway because I I could see um, when I'm back in 92 when I first started getting into it and like I say having this real self-discovery for, m- for myself um, I was really veering more towards guys like Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels smaller guys more technical higher flyers they weren't just the big the visible big guys who just you know hit kicked and punched and everything there was more to them so by this point I I wasn't massively disappointed that Hulk Hogan lost the belt. I, I, I didn't really see that he needed to have been back in '93. I thought they were doing pretty well with Bret Hart as the world champion. But there we go. But I loved, loved the matches that were on there. Obviously, Bret Hart, Razor Ramon. I loved that match from the Royal Rumble anyway. So and you know this match against Mr. Perfect, the rematch from SummerSlam '91, and then probably one of my more underrated favourites from that era Bam Bam Bigelow um, I he was one of those heels that made me fearful for the face that he was in the ring with especially Bret Hart here you know he really Bret sold for him some of those shots really looked like they were really taking taking him apart you know he was literally on his last legs and um, yeah yeah that would be sort of a, one of few five star pay-per-views in my opinion six uh, so coming next, um, seeing the Steiner brothers in WWF. That was again. I had started to discover them. Uh, I I think I discovered them through the WWF first, and then obviously I was retrospectively going back and discovering WCW. So I I preferred them in WCW. I think their matches were just more solid wrestling there and they got in broad 93 I think the WWF didn't really know the best direction to take them in they put the belts on them but I think the way they took them off him killed their momentum anyway um, so I wasn't surprised to see him gone <clears throat> sort of by the next summer really but the first glimpse I had of them because I saw Wrestlemania 9 before I saw Royal Rumble 93 so it was I loved I loved Wrestlemania 9 in a sense because it was the first out just simply the first outdoor event I'd ever seen and it was just a completely different atmosphere you know you see guys uh, faces you know, sort of squinting glaring at the sun and you see uh, you know the, the hair blowing in the, it sounds very poetic poetic hair blowing in the wind as they were like walking to the ring or, or whatever it was just a completely different dimension and then you saw it move from it was daytime at the beginning goes to night time when you get that big main event at the end anyway um, it was their match with the head shrinkers I absolutely loved that match can't really say what it is about it just I uh, going back and seeing the them as the wild Samoans in WCW I loved watching them they were they were again quite brutal 
they were big rugged just no nonsense um, a bit like demolition i suppose you know they just pound you into the ground and you you became concerned for whether the face that they were in the ring with would actually you know survive almost uh, but there were some great spots in that match um i think the alpha breaking the cane over scott steiner's back and the uh, rick steiner uh, i think he reversed he was on one of the one of the head his shoulders while the other leapt at them from the top row, like a doomsday device type move but then he reversed it into a belly to belly off their shoulders and it's, it's, yeah yeah first time i've seen a frankenstein as well first time i'd ever seen that move um which like, totally different totally fresh at the time bit overused these days but i think he, he scott steiner definitely had the best one um the most impact and it was it was a finishing move it warranted a finishing move the way he pulled that off and these guys who normally you smash their heads into the mat and they would just get back up and laugh at you but um you know scott steiner putting their head in the mat with the frankensteiner was enough to keep them down that's impressive five so speaking briefly of of the Steiner Brothers, then their their first pay per view match, and WWF brings me to the next one on the list, which was as an event the Royal Rumble '93. Um, great opener with the Steiners and the Beverly Brothers. You got on that card as well. You got Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. That had been brewing for a year. Finally got to see them against each other, and it was only when I saw the event and I saw the the pre match sort of build up and the um, the reflections of how the Bret Hart and Razor Ramon had built up to their title match and seeing the clip with Razor Ramon taking out Owen Hart on I think it was an episode probably early episode of Mania where Owen was giving an interview and Razor Ramon just came in and just clotheslined him off his chair and just kicked him punched him and just hit him with a trash can and and then got him and just had him in a chokehold as, as the comeback clip finished realised just how dangerous Razor Ramon looked and then again like most heels that they put in the ring with Bret Hart at that point so people like Yokozuna, Razor Ramon, Papa Shango you kind of, or I did anyway I was like is this guy going to be the one that really sort of takes Bret out um, and they had a great match I, I it, it wasn't It's for me that event the undercards was awesome but I love the Royal Rumble match on that one it was a bit of a um, a bit of a given I think when you knew Yokozuna was in it that he, he may well go on to win it um, but the spots in that especially then you got the giant Gonzalez as sad as he was as a performer his debut taking out The Undertaker could be unrivaled on a lot of occasions um, it's quite an impactful debut and you know he was the one to take him out of the of the match so uh um yeah yeah all around absolutely love that event i would go back to it any day and watch that four so again almost segueing in so from yokozuna winning the royal rumble 93 i go back to this is a bit of a mixed one as well so yokozuna's pay-per-view debut and the survivor series 92 as a whole um i remember the first night that i saw this event or most of it um, was one of these where we travelled um, long car journey as it was back then from Basingstoke to Boston, Lincolnshire to spend a week or so with our uh, with my aunt 
my uncle, my cousin. So again, I remember getting out of the car and my cousin Mike comes up to me and he starts telling me about the Survivor Series 92, which had just happened. I think he must have taped it or someone had taped it for him off the TV. And he, I remember him to this day saying, have you ever seen anyone kick out or break out of the razor's edge? And I didn't know what he was on about, if I'm honest. I'd never... Um, I hadn't seen a complete razor's edge up to that point. I didn't really know what the move was, let alone how someone would break out of it. Obviously, he was talking about Mr. Perfect, kind of um, being positioned up there and then with the use of the turnbuckle, kicking his way back out and then uh, backdropping Razor Ramon. Um, but the one thing I remember about that show, apart from, again, the main event, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, it's my first glimpse of Bret Hart as a WWF champ as well, more on that later. Um, it was Yokozuna's match against Virgil. He just absolutely decimated him. Again, probably one of the first occasions I recall seeing a squash match, a squash quality match on a pay-per-view. Um, Nails and Virgil had one like that looking back on it at SummerSlam, but I think Virgil had a bit more offence and, and looked a little bit more impressive. But Yokozuna, I hadn't seen him before. He was he looked massive. Obviously, he would get a lot bigger. But some of the moves, I mean, I remember when he dropped the leg drop on him enough to kind of make you hold your breath let alone see how Virgil sold that and then the bonsai drop as well obviously devastating so and then it's it was the attempt at an interview with Virgil um, later in the show in the back I think it was Mean Gene or Lord Alfred Hayes I can't remember which now but it was Virgil saying he was warning Bret Hart look out for this guy and you gotta think about it again what would happen if Yokozuna got hold of Bret Hart he would he would destroy him that's what you kind of thought at the time he was another one of those monster heels that then put fear inside of you for whoever was your favourite face at the time three so I said I didn't put these in any kind of order really I must have done because we, we kind of segue now into the top three so number three um sticking with oddly enough um around the time Survivor Series 92 it was Mr. Perfect turning face um, now I didn't I did say earlier on that sort of Lex Luger was the first time that I had I remember seeing a heel turn face I think he was the most for me it was the most impactful one I didn't really take a hell of a lot of notice that Mr. Perfect had turned face before even though I did see Survivor Series 92 before obviously I saw these um, Luger's heel uh, face turn in 93 but I, it wasn't until I went back and watched Survivor Series 92 later on um, that it, it meant a bit more to me that Mr. Perfect had turned into a good guy I think I kind of at the t when I first watched the pay-per-view that night when we went to went to my aunt and uncle's um, it, it seemed odd to me that Mr. Perfect I still probably thought of him as a heel but he would just decided to fight against the guys he had been positioned with for months before in Ric Flair and Razor Ramon um, I loved the build up to it the, the moment that Mr Perfect turns at the uh, at the conference table studio setting on prime time where Bobby Heenan slaps him in the face and basically says you work for me you do as I say or you do as we say um, and then he uh, humiliates him by pouring water on his head and saying, yeah, I'm your, I'm saying to Savage, I'm your partner at Survivor Series. 
it was something I wouldn't have seen coming if I was watching it weekly because Mr. Perfect again was in that triangle with um, that quartet I suppose even with Bobby Heenan involved but with Ric Flair and Razor Ramon wouldn't have ever thought you'd be cheering him on it took me a while to accept him as a as a face I think um, but I think that it was the, it was the manner in which Mr. Perfect turned face which was I still love it's the drama and the humour in it that was then Bobby Heenan I don't think you could have had anyone better to substantiate that change really two so heading up at number two um, now I mentioned this in the first episode I kind of touched on it earlier on in Incognito um, but the Rockers breaking up so the infamous barbershop job that Shawn Michaels does on Marty Jannetty in January 92 I found out about it through the pages of the WWF magazine which probably was February or March edition by that point and just reading in there just seeing the pictures of Shawn Michaels just beating on Marty Jannetty and then the image suggesting he had thrown him through the window it was a shocking thing this is way before anything hardcore really made it into wrestling at all let alone the mainstream so it it was shocking it was it wasn't just it didn't feel like an angle it felt like okay this guy's pissed off and he's done something so brutal you hate him straight away you've gone from loving him as part of the rockers he was my favorite rocker I, I, they were very similar I know there's just something about Shawn Michaels in that tandem that I, I, I saw him more as if there was a leader of the two I would agree that it was probably him but then instantly you just think what an asshole you know what's he done and this is ju- this is a beauty of how the magazine um, reported these stories that was all I had to go on really and then later seeing because when I got the recording of Wrestlemania 8 it had Missed, the first match was missed off it was something about the, the, the when these events were videoed they seemed to be lacking the first match when they made it to me um, so I didn't see the, the match he had with El Matador still hadn't really seen him as a, a singles heel until I got that then tape probably sort of April, May of that year when he was in some squash matches and I loved the cockiness of him I've I've been a big Shawn Michaels fan for years really since that point but I it was one of those heels I loved to hate but I loved to watch at the same time so entertaining he was when he turned face in 95 and again it's one of those face heel turns really shocked me even up to that point again I couldn't have imagined Shawn Michaels being a, a baby face again but he was and it worked brilliantly in, in sort of the mid 90s but I loved watching him as a heel I think he uh, he suited that one so much, not so much better, but that was it was almost more believable, and he got away with a lot more. And again, you could hate him, but you'd love to watch him. Yeah. And then at number one, my number one memory of sort of ninety two, ninety three makes it to the top of the list is Bret Hart becoming world champion. It's got to be. I first found out about that again pages of the WWF magazine can't remember if it must have been on the front cover of one that I saw because the image of him with the belt around his waist just captured me straight away I was like whoa something's gone on here or it was when I got whatever issue it was in and then I flicked through it and saw the report of the match I was like nah that can't be right surely last I saw he'd he'd lost to British Bulldog at SummerSlam how the hell is he now the world champion it looked great though the image 
of him at the end of that match straps pulled down um, the belt around his waist just for it I think that's one of the most it's one of the most iconic images for me and I didn't manage to watch that ma- that actual match when he beat Ric Flair because it wasn't on again one of the weekly shows it was put on one of the Coliseum home video compilation type videos um, I didn't get to watch that probably until sort of five six years ago probably beauty of the internet resurfaces I didn't have the VHS that it was on but then made its way onto YouTube and I was able to enjoy it um, yeah brilliant and that to me that was really the moment when it really got exciting Hulk Hogan was out of the picture the face was changing they had a spell with Savage being the champ they then went with Ric Flair they both established champions back in the 80s with you know um, WWF and WCW NWA but now we're seeing something's changing here they're, they're putting their faith in someone different and remember I, I loved the Hart Foundation as well um, sort of as tag team goes they were, they were one of my my favourite ones of all time so seeing him turn into this cha- this champion on, on his own and that's the crowning moment and then that that really I, I loved then hearing about who he was facing you know I heard about him at the time I could only hear about it again you know defending the belt against monsters like Papa Shango Kamala and um, guys like that you know Repo Man and then going up against Razor Ramon it's unfortunate they took it off him at Wrestlemania one of the my big bugbears is not only that they took it off him because you know that that was a good good story to lose it to this big monster you know Yokozuna is when they put it on Hogan still don't understand why they did that really um, just my opinion they obviously made business sense they had an idea I I do believe I mean I have heard and I do believe that it was the way they were meant to do it was he was meant to drop it back uh, Hogan was meant to drop it back to Brett that was the agreement it was hinted at in the magazine at some point around that but didn't happen disappointing um, but Brett still stays strong and I think he he really was the one that then carry through even from 93 um, for me he had the most exciting storylines the most immersive storylines you know he lost the belt you felt for him then he won the king of the ring you wanted him to beat the living hell out of Jerry Lawler right to the end of the year you know no that was that was that was a real turning point for me Bret Hart becoming world champion in uh, Saskatoon in his home country as well um that was the start of the new generation and that really was the start of my favourite era in the WWF so that pretty much concludes uh, this week's episode just a, again a little trundle down memory lane for me um, do comment you know if you if you if you follow this podcast and you can you know you follow it I'll follow my Facebook page on Once Upon a Turnbuckle um, comment your favourite top 10 your for any era that that is your this is my golden era that i'm sort of basing this podcast on on podcast on yours may be different what are your top 10 memories the top not necessarily the biggest one the biggest and most important angles that happened but what have stayed with you what are your favorite ones you know feel free comment on those and this this sort of lays the groundwork for the next sort of couple of weeks um I welcome a couple of special guests over the next two weeks. Um, I've got a uh, a really exciting chat coming up with a UK indie wrestler, uh, Thomas James Sky. Really looking forward to that one. 
and um, if you've not already seen on my Facebook page the announcement that in a couple of weeks I am actually going to have a bona fide WWF legend talking to me Duke the Dumpster Drosy is going to be on what Once Upon a Turnbuckle talking about his career his life that I cannot wait to speak to him so please tune in for that and then um, yeah I haven't quite decided on what topics to go through next I may well do a in, in the fashion that I've done the first two episodes I may well just concentrate on the real sort of new generation era then sort of going on from 94, 95 um, not the most favoured years for a lot of wrestling fans but again it's up there with the warmest of memories for me I really did enjoy that time and um, it really does It's having Duke Drosy on there will be perfect fit for that for that sort of time um, before I go just you know obviously a, a, a bit of uh, I will sort of share my thoughts on um, and sort of say it was sorry to hear of the, the death of James Harris aka Kamala this week um, this period of time that I'm talking about he was obviously synonymous with then sort of 92 especially 92 because his his battles with The Undertaker um, went through much of that year and I've uh, got fond memories of seeing him. he was such an entertaining character he was never one of my favourite you know favourite favourites but I always enjoyed watching his matches they were very comical again that he's one of those heels that he was his power his destructive ability was very believable and you did believe that he could really take down you know the uh, the heroes at the time um but yeah, yeah, sad, sad loss. So, uh, yeah, rest in peace, my friend. And uh, if you do enjoy, if you if you are enjoying this podcast, please do subscribe, share, follow. Um, also follow me on Facebook. I've got a dedicated page on Facebook. Search for Once Upon a Turnbuckle. You can also find me on Instagram as well at Once Upon a Turnbuckle. And I look forward to speaking to you again next week when I welcome. Thomas James Skye as the first uh, special guest on Once Upon a Turnbuckle.